say? Hello, oh. hello, hello. That How was like, are we all? That was like harmony. That was good. I've been practicing. Yeah. <laughs> have you? Have. Like, you joined us. Look, like, that's the only time I'm going to join it because it's a celebration of the start of season two of Gateway to Anime. That is correct. Your favorite podcast. <laughs> that is correct. Welcome back. Welcome back, everyone. Here we are, season two. And as you might be able to tell, as you could probably feel the symbiosis that came from that Arashama say it's because we're all in the same goddamn room we're all back in Sydney it's very exciting hello Ooh. guys how hello. are we hello back in the harbour town I don't know why I said that sorry has anyone <laughs> ever called it the harbour well, town uh, well I just said it thing? called that then Probably back the in Perth there was a place yeah, called the shopping centre yeah. it's now called Water City or something what's it called Water City no it's like oh uh, I don't know yeah don't worry hey look it's, it's called that. Sydney so you know it's all good everybody now okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well we're gonna start this season off with a little compare and contrast, we are doing Pixar and Studio Ghibli. So Not a versus. Not a versus. No, no, no. Definitely no. not a versus. They would no. hate that. No, and I don't think it's fair because honestly, I love them both so much that you can't mm. make me choose. You know, um, And they love each other. Yeah, they love each other. It's a thing. It's a beautiful thing that both of these, you know, we've got the wonderful animation house of the West and the wonderful animation house of the East. Let's talk about them. Let's bring them together. Let's compare and contrast. Let's see how that goes. So we'll talk a little bit about the history here. And like we did with the Attack on Titan episode, we're going to operate under the assumption that you've seen the Pixar films, but you probably haven't seen the Ghibli films. Now, for those of you who have watched and seen all the Ghibli films and are scholars in the field, you're still going to get enough out of this episode because we're not going to spoil plot points, but we're going to talk enough about it that you're going to still get something out of it no matter what. And if you are someone who's a complete Ghibli novice, we're not going to ruin anything for you. So that is the operating principle under which we shall operate. But Brett, you actually, for the first time in this whole podcast, are not a novice in this field. In fact, you're probably more across Ghibli than I am. Yes. Well, I don't know. I don't know more, but I've definitely seen most of it. There's a yeah. few that I haven't seen. And there's definitely a few from Miyazaki and Takahata that I haven't seen. Like mm -hmm. their older stuff. Yes. I'm so proud of my student right now. This I, is a I, true, I, after the training arc of season one, we're here with season two <laughs> with Brett leading the charge. If you could see this podcast, I'm, yes. I'm bowing profusely. Bowing. It is. And it's, <laughs> uh, it's out of good. respect to my senseis. <laughs> we don't need you anymore. You have, you have, <laughs> you have risen from a gainin to a tunin. You just passed, you just did the tunin exam. And that's hard to do. That's real hard. You just learned the Razengan. Mm -hmm. So welcome. Yeah, well, does that mean that I get, you know, down the track, I get to have my own students as well? Sure. Yeah, man, but you've got to be a, a Jonan before that happens. You I get an another idea exam. about maybe getting my partner in to take over my shoes. Now that I've seen quite a bit, maybe I get Larisha to come on and be the novice. Bring in a true novice. Because she really, really doesn't like anime. Hey, that's, that's exactly who we uh, want. Yeah, we need to convert her. We must. Challenge accepted. Challenge Bring accepted. Larisha on. Bring Great. Larisha to us. So the plan will be then. <laughs> Bring Larisha. <laughs> the plan will be to get her to watch three of my favorites, Haikyuu, uh, Death Note, and Attack on Titan. Nice. Yeah, sweet. Nice. And see what she thinks. If Attack on her, Titan I might switch out because it's quite violent. She doesn't like that style. Fair. Herself, but yeah, anyway, more about that in the coming weeks. Just We're going to now discuss Studio Ghibli and Pixar. Well, take it away, Brett. Take it away. Can you mind if I just give a bit of a, a brief rundown of the two companies and how they sort of came to make the movies that we all know and love? Please do. Great. Pixar, first of all. A very quick, in 1979, George Lucas. Of all people, hires Ed Catmull. You may not know that name, but he's one of the founding members of the Pixar that we know today. Hires him to head his computer division, a group charged with developing state-of-the-art computer technology for the film industry. So not feature films in their own right, but to like push computer-generated graphics and images onto our screens you know, for himself and his films um, predominantly. The first time we actually saw computer animated sequences on film was with Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, in 1982. So only three years after they were starting to contribute to the industry. Hmm. And then in 1984, John Lasseter, he gets hired to join the computer division. John Lasseter being another founding member and director of the company. And John Lasseter had actually just been fired from his dream job at Disney. Funnily enough. He becomes the interface designer. Then in 1986, another big name comes in, Steve Jobs, hey. and buys the branch from George Lucas's company, LucasArts, and forms Pixar. Hmm. And then they sort of spend the next 
part of the decade, making commercials, contributing to other feature films, making a lot of short films. It's where Luxo was created. Luxo Jr. Luxo yes. Jr., their, their first short, well, not their first short film, but like the iconic sort of image that we know the lamp. for Pixar, the lamp yes, that yes. pops up and smashes yeah. down the eye in Pixar. And in fact, they actually got uh, sued in 2009 by the Luxo company because they were selling merchandise. Of Luxo. And oh. Luxo company, because, you know, Lasseter got the idea from his Luxo lamp that was on his desk, which is why he made the short film in 1984? Around there. 84, 85, yeah. yeah. And, yeah, they were selling it as merch, and Luxo, the lamp company, were like, hey, hey wait, buddy. wait a goddamn minute, and they settled yeah. out of court. But, yeah. So, <laughs> I bet, they, oh, settled I bet well. they settled well for that. <laughs> oh, dear. Go Luxo. Well done. You got yours. You they got deserve yours. it, you know? Yeah. You know, it's iconic. So, yeah, Steve Jobs... You know, now owns it. And then in 1990, Andrew Stanton and Pete Doctor, who are familiar names if you look at credits on films like oh, yeah. I do. Pete Doctor being one of the directors, Andrew Stanton writing, directing as well. I can't remember What's anyway. Writes, I, I, I don't know everything about Pixar. You can find all this online as well. <laughs> in 1991. Don't tell them research, that, Brett. <laughs> don't tell them that, Brett. <laughs> no, we are the experts. <laughs> <laughs> In 1991, Disney and Pixar announced an agreement to make and distribute at least one computer-generated animated movie. So in 1991, and then four years later, Toy Story emerged and was huge. And if there was a best animated feature film in the Academy Awards that year, I'm sure they would have won it. There wasn't. But there wasn't. No. We'll get no. on to that because that, that actually didn't start. That segment didn't. They won. They got nominated and won a couple of things, I believe. They got nominated at least for best original score. Randy, Randy Newman, Newman. singing about what he sings. Uh, and script, I believe. And whether or not they won or not, they were on on the radar on immediately. The and before that, animated films had won just best picture, right? Like I know no, the been nominated. No one had won. No, no, no. Beauty and the, the Beast, Beast was, nominated. was nominated. I thought Snow White won. No. Oh well, you know what. I'm out. There's See you guys. Two that have, Touch you later. I think two or three that have ever been nominated. In the best picture. In the best picture. Uh, yeah. One has been in the best and the other is one of the Pixar films we're about to talk about later on in the oh, podcast. here so, we go. Yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. I'm glad you have that piece of information because I was not going <laughs> Same, to bring it up. I was up. just spouting some absolute nonsense then. So like, <laughs> you were spouting lies. Man, I'm the anime fan, okay? I'm not the Pixar <laughs> fan. All right, bye team. Look, <laughs> so that kind of... I'm not going to go any further because once Toy Story was released, we kind of know what happened then. Yes, it's... they were bought by Disney in 2006 after being... Disney has always distributed Pixar, but mm. it was 2006 that they actually bought them. But as you probably know, and if you don't, Pixar are interesting in that even though they are a subsidiary company of Disney, they still operate with their own autonomy, which is quite interesting. So it's a very... You know, there's still Disney Pixar films, but then of course you've got pure Disney films and also animated, of course, Frozen and Tangled and Big Hero 6. These are all Disney films, which are not. And I believe there's a very clear decision there where Pixar and the Disney team do not collaborate or help each other. I do believe that's actually a, a very serious Interesting. Well, I mean, they, they, they're kind of competitors in the, yeah, in the same, in the same way. Even though it's the same company. But they use degree. the same technologies. Yes, yes. That is what they share. Be, but the creative teams yeah. don't work with each other. Which is quite interesting. That is interesting. And you know what is even more interesting is that they've won 16 Academy Awards. They've been nominated for more than that. Pixar, yes. But they've won 16. Crazy. Like we said, like 2001 was the first year there was animated feature film as a category at the Academy Awards. And since then, they've, yeah, they've won that for Finding Nemo, The Incredibles, Ratatouille, Wall-E, Up, Toy Story 3 and 4, which is madness because they're sequels to a franchise. And then uh, Brave Inside Out and Coco. So, and then there's music, script writing, shorts, you yeah, know, so many things. Yeah, I mean, has, has a sequel to a film ever won anything? <laughs> In Academy. I'm Godfather. joking. Godfather. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we all know that one. Plus a few others. Classic. Sorry. But, yeah. Look. Um, Pixar. Look. If you if if you're under a rock on the moon, you probably still know what Pixar is. Oh yeah. So we'll, we'll move on to Studio Ghibli and there. Uh, you notice that I I switch from Ghibli to Ghibli. I know it's Ghibli, they're but both I. Correct. But they're both correct, and I like the sound of both. So yeah. it depends how we'll I'm change feeling. It up. We'll change it up. We'll change it up the whole podcast. Why not have yeah. both? Sorry. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> So we started Pixar in 1978, the inception of moving towards Pixar. Yes. So just to give a bit of history of Studio Ghibli, the sort of the arc there is a lot bigger because Miyazaki and Takahata 
were working in anime and feature film animation for a long time. They'd done stuff on other people's projects, their own projects, but they didn't collaborate until 1968, 10 years before Pixar was incepted. Well, not even incepted for like for the formation of 3D generated yes. images the as idea an idea. Of Pixar, really. So these two started working together and um, worked on this uh, film called The Great Adventure of Horus, Prince of the Sun, which by title sounds amazing. Sounds I haven't dope. seen it. Yeah, it's good. I haven't seen it either. Miyazaki was art director to Takahata, mm-hmm. put them on the radar with Toshio Suzuki, who's yes. their main producer. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll get to him in a moment. And then they went on to work on Panda Go Panda Films, which again, I've never heard of in 1972 and 1973. And these this is like 15 years before Pixar is even formed and these two are working together. So in 1979, Miyazaki directs his first feature film, The Castle of Cagliostro, and then they continue to work separately between 1979 and 85 and besides the great film Nausicaa, Valley of the Winds, which is released in 1984, Mm. but is not a Studio Ghibli because they did not form until 1984. Five. That is correct. So little... most of the team, so Norsic is often described and referred to as a Studio Ghibli film, but technically it's not. Yes, it's the whole Ghibli team, but it wasn't actually Studio Ghibli. Get that cat out of the way. Sorry. <laughs> Norsica, no. Mind blown. Get out. Because yes, yes, it, it's do. always listed even on Netflix as yeah, no, being... Yeah. Um, it's a technicality, but yes. So Still counts. Still counts. Castle in the Sky is technically... The first, the first. yeah, yeah, first. and it's a good set. I mean, they're both they both be great standalone films to launch a company, just like Toy Story was for Pixar. Mm. The introduction of of toys coming alive in in the, like in the room while we're not watching is unbelievable. It's brilliant. And then Castle in the Sky is just this unbelievable adventure film, a lot like almost like Star Wars about a, a prince and a princess yeah. kind of coming together to save the world. And yeah, absolutely, and stop evil forces from taking over a, a land mm. that floats in the sky, funny enough. <laughs> in 1985, uh, they banded together to form Studio Ghibli. And uh, what does that mean, you ask? <laughs> well, it there was, are two parts of it. Yeah, well, it was based on an Arabic name for <laughs> Hot Sahara Wind because the founders wanted Studio Ghibli to blow new wind through the anime animation industry. And that they did. That they certainly did. Oh, yeah. And then to top that off, the second meaning actually comes from the Italian plane Caproni 309. The codename for it during the war was a Ghibli or a Ghibli more specifically. And interestingly enough, Miyazaki's father actually ran a factory during World War II where he manufactured parts for airplanes. And it's, it's interesting, like pretty much all of his films are involve flight or about flight or have airships besides... One that yeah. we're going to talk about today. Yeah, he's obsessed with... If, you, if you've noticed a prevalence of planes, especially kind of World War II era planes, that's why. He literally grew up walking around that factory. In fact, some of his earliest sketches were from within that factory when he was drawing plans that his father was building and his uncle owned the factory. So that's where it all began and that's, that's where it comes from. Look, you can find all of the Studio Ghibli films at the moment on Netflix and brilliant and they've been on for a couple of months so during covid you may have even started to watch them if they popped up on your feed we're just going to talk about three of our favorite ghiblis paired with three of our favorite pixars that have some sort of common themes yes i guess totally so the first one is uh spirited away and spirited away is their only academy award winning film yes uh, 2001, they won. 2002, or 2001, it was released. 2002, it won. But yes, yeah, so it did win. Obviously, it won Best Animated Film. It's the only Ghibli film to have done so. Uh, controversially, some might say. Yeah. I think he probably deserves a whole bunch more. But look, Spirited Away, there's a reason it is the kind of flagship film. Miyazaki's retired like seven times, by the way. So he had actually <laughs> yeah. retired after yeah. Spirited Away. But of course, he came back. In fact, He's back again. He's the right John now. Farnham <laughs> of the anime the industry. <laughs> Indeed. Because he retired in 2014, but actually he's uh, come out of retirement in 2017 to make a film, which is going to take him a long time, but it's called How Do You Live? And the reason he's doing that, he's working on it for his grandson as a way of saying, Grandpa is moving on to the next world soon. 
but he's leaving this film behind because he loves you. Now, that's not the most wholesome Hayao Miyazaki thing ever. I don't know what is. Yeah. But, so keep your ears and eyes out for How Do You Live when that does eventually come out. Wow. That Yeah. I can't wait for that. So, so just to give you a bit of a rundown of Spirited Away or a recap if you haven't seen it for a while or you're you know, interested in seeing it. This is a film about a 10-year-old called Chihiro who's recently uh, leaving her home uh, with her parents and they're sort of driving through the country when they stumble upon this seemingly abandoned amusement park. And after her mother and father are turned into pigs after eating some forbidden fruit and and dumplings Chihiro meets the mysterious Haku who explains that the park is a resort for supernatural beings who need a break from their time spent in the earthly realm and that she must work there to free herself and her parents so as she enters this amusement park she kind of steps down the rabbit hole and enters the world of the spirits the film that I chose to pair with this is Monsters Inc Like Monsters Inc. is about top scarer Sully and his friend Mike, who works as his like assistant on the scare floor, where they go in through doors to scare children to power the, the city of Monstropolis. But when a girl wanders into Monstropolis, their monster world, they try their best to get her back to her room while still trying to break the all-time scare record. So why do you think I chose these two films to pair them together? Look, I mean, when we when you first mentioned it i hadn't realized they're literally the same storyline if you're putting it just on paper like little girl stumbles into monster world that could be both films but they're completely differently totally different totally they're completely yeah the opposite in terms of style in terms of humor in terms of a lot of things and we'll get onto that in a second these are my two favorites as well right so this is my favorite from ghibli still i don't I, i i love a lot of his stuff but it's still as a film, just wholesome it's extraordinary. for me. And Monsters, Inc. is still like my go-to, you know, had, had a crap day chucked out on in the background kind of film and just love it. It's like, wonderful. Yeah. It's, it's one. I mean, you know, and I guess you're right. The storylines actually are kind of exactly the same, just the inverse of each other. Mm-hmm. You know, like one is from the perspective of someone going into a new world and the other is the people in that world Doing. dealing with the thing that's come into theirs. Yeah. You know, but otherwise it's pretty much... <laughs> I, th- I think with Monsters, Inc., we also had this uh, this world opened up to us of these like crazy characters, like yes. crazy creatures almost. Yeah. And they're also diverse in their scale as well. Like the, some are tiny, some are huge. And mm. that's a very big connection, I think, with with spirited away in terms of the spirits being not monsters, but very diverse in their own right as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think a really good distinction between the two of them here. And I think it's a really good distinction in general between Pixar and Ghibli and how, how they tell stories and even East and West, but storytelling. But again, I don't want to get too bogged down in that because I don't know enough about it, but at the same time, it's a really good examination of soft world building versus hard world building. Mm. Okay. So Miyazaki is the king of soft world building. He is the absolute master of it. And then just for an example of hard world, the best example of hard world building is obviously J.R.R. Tolkien in The Lord of the Rings. He wrote a fucking language for Elvish and there are several types of languages for elves and there's entire books of history. It's it's mental, just like how hard that world is built. Mm. Whereas Miyazaki, you don't know what the fucking rules are of the bathhouse. Like, <laughs> no, no one knows. We could sit here. We could sit here all day debating. And they change. They change. But yeah. It, but it doesn't matter. We could sit here all day debating what No Face represents. We could spend the rest of this podcast debating what No Face represents in Spirited Away. I have prepared my argument. <laughs> <laughs> but, but we're not going to sit here and debate what Sully represents. You know what I mean? Like, it's pretty fucking obvious. Like, yeah. and that's not a slight. But it's just the difference. It's quite, Spirited Away is kind of more expressionistic in, in and of itself. And you, you don't need to get bogged down in the rules of that world. I, they just are. I also think that it's down to storytelling in a way which it hasn't doesn't have to necessarily be, it's not hand-holding the audience through. Yeah. They're like, this is a world and we're kind of thrown into the middle of it. And like Chihiro, the main character of Spirited Away, she doesn't have to, she has to learn the rules as she goes. So we're kind yeah. of in her perspective as opposed to Monsters, Inc. Yeah. where they exist she's in the this vessel. world. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that that's huge. Like she's never going to understand exactly what this world means and the audience doesn't have to. And I mean, there's a lot to be said for that that gives them a lot more freedom in terms of soft world building, I yes. think can be a little less like pandering to an audience and trying to like explain everything. I think you get way more creative freedom in a soft world built. So that's why I think Miyazaki 
And also let's not forget that he's the way that he works famously is that he storyboards as he writes a script. Yeah. So really he comes from it as a as a vision kind of person. He, he wants to present something to you and then he kind of almost creates the story to he almost creates the plotting and the story to to show you this image or this yeah. this, this which beauty. can be a little bit detrimental sometimes I think to the ending of Ghibli films particularly his ones. Sure. I think that um narratively speaking Towards the end, it kind of feels yeah. as though there's been this big thing, and suddenly they're like, "Oh wait, it's a film. That, okay, that's wrap it, it up." Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, they but don't it's... worry about that sort of resolution as much. Um, no, because yeah. things are going to go on from here. But I kind of, I've always liked that ironic sort of ending where you're sort of left to go, "Well, is it is it finished? Is it enough? Mm. Will it change them? Like, what is? Yeah, it's that's kind of nice." But also, I mean, it's a perfect example of the way that the the two different worlds and how they're built. Literally the opening sequence of Monsters, Inc. is an educational video telling students of the Monsters Academy exactly how the world works. Exposition. Yeah. It's literally just feeds straight away. You go, ah, oh, cool. Okay. So like, so if you children scream and then that's the source of energy to power the world and this is the institution that is set up to get those screams and like, you know, it's just I'm, all I'm glad you brought that up because you know? we'll, we'll like they, I think Pixar has evolved their devices of giving information like quite eloquently over the years with yeah. some of the films and one in particular that we'll talk about soon. I'll just finally just finish as well. One of the other things I find is something across all of Ghibli work, but is quite pertinent to these two films is the, the sort of the theme of tradition versus innovation. Mm. Yes. Oh, yes. So even with Monsters, Inc., there's this hard tradition within the world of this is the way things go and that is part of the conflict for the entire thing and it actually the climax of the film is the innovation of, yes. of how, you know, the world can actually be a, a little bit better. With Spirit Away, it's, it's no different. There's, there's, there's hard tradition there, but it's, it's about these two worlds coexisting and, and connecting with each other. Absolutely. Mm. Well, just to, just to finish that off, I've got... A really wonderful segment of an interview with with Miyazaki and the interview is a French interview and the interviewer says what strikes me about Spirited Away compared to your previous films is a real freedom of the author a feeling that you can take the film and the story any way you wish independent of logic even and then Miyazaki replied everybody can make a film with logic but my way is not to use logic at a certain moment in that process the lid is opened and very different ideas and visions are liberated. I should not handle a scene in a certain way for the sake of the audience. For instance, what for me constitutes the end of the film is the scene in which Chichiro takes the train all by herself. I remember the first time I took the train alone and what my feelings were at the time. To bring those feelings across in the scene, it was important to not have a view through the window of the train, like mountains or a forest, because they are so focused on the ride itself. It's while working on that scene that I realize that I work in a non-conscious way. There are more profound things than simply logic that guide the creation of the story. Mm. That's great. It's like yeah, a little it's... canvas for that little journey. It's, it's, so, it's so wonderful. He doesn't hold your hand through it and so much of it is left to your interpretation. And that is what's wonderful about Spirited Away and Miyazaki. And uh, when I first watched like Miyazaki films in particular with Ghibli, like you, Charlotte, I was a bit like, ah, the ends. So I'm like, ah, oh, but like... It's because it's not what we're used to in Western stories. Totally. Time. It's you know, narratively. We're used to being like, this, yeah. here's the ending. It's all in a nice wrapped up bow. And you know, Pixar's brilliant at that. But like, this is a challenge. And they're one of the few, us. you know, we love to do that in Western culture. We don't always do it right because we need yeah. it wrapped up in, in a bow and we need to know how the characters are going to live their life afterwards. Whereas yeah. I always love that open ending, like where yeah. I, I'm given a little bit of work to do. You know what I love about that quote though, is I, I can so clearly vision um, envision her on that train going, it's like through the yeah. sky and it's stunning. But like, it's funny that he pointed that bit out as something that stood out considering the world is so big around it. There's these huge, like, you know, big demons and spirits that she's dealing with and it's huge in it. The one that he focused on as being like the point was a little girl catching the train for the first time. Yes. So it's just beautifully kind of, mun like Monday, not mundane. It's like the simplicity within a giant world is sort of like, yeah, it's I think it's really... Interesting. Yeah. And that whole sort of coming of age and growing up, yeah. which we're going to get onto shortly with the next two. Yes. Segway. Before Segway. I do, if, before I do, if you haven't seen Spirited Away or even Monsters, Inc., if you liked films like The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe or the books, Alice in Wonderland, The Matrix, The Wizard of Oz or even Rick and Morty, you will probably love Spirited Away. Just a PSA, oh, don't watch Pan's it hungry. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Is that totally. really about a, yeah. It's so... 
Uh, just a PSA though, don't watch it hungry because Ghibli's food, the way they animate it, it just looks like the best thing you'll ever eat in your life. But it just, yeah, the fact that you can't have it. Yeah, Sometimes fact, you don't even know what they're eating. Yeah, they're and it's just, it's just, anyway, so Spirit Away features some very good, uh, good animated food. Food porn. Food oh, porn. yeah. Looks good. Moving on to Kiki's Delivery Service, oh, which is one of my favorites as well. But yes. I thought it was important to pair this one with Inside Out, which yes. is a great film in its own right. So Kiki's Delivery Service is a film about a 13-year-old girl called Kiki who's a witch and she moves to a seaside town with her talking cat, Gigi, to spend a year alone in accordance with her village's tradition for witches in training. After learning to control her broomstick, Kiki sets up a flying courier service and soon becomes a fixture in the community. But when the insecure young witch begins questioning herself and her part in this world, she begins to lose her magic abilities. And she must overcome her self-doubt to get her powers back. Before we elaborate on that, I'll just give a little synopsis on Inside Out, which is about this young girl called Riley, who's a happy hockey-loving 11-year-old from the Midwest, I think Minnesota. Minnesota, yes. Minnesota. But her world turns upside down when she and her parents move to San Francisco. Riley's emotions, led by Joy, try to guide her through this difficult, life-changing event. However, the stress of the move brings sadness to the forefront. When joy and sadness are inadvertently swept into the far reaches of Riley's mind, the only emotions left in headquarters, her brain, are anger, fear, and disgust. Mm. Great little, great concept for a film. And so important for this day and age in terms of mental health and and, and young people dealing with their emotions and understanding their emotions. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But I'd just point out that Kiki's delivery service, although it doesn't blatantly say that, you know, throw at the audience like Inside Out does was almost like 17 years prior and it was about all those things and a young girl moving to a seaside town on her own and having to deal with that. Yeah. 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 It's it's interesting. Well, again, it's another perfect example of of hard world building and soft world building in that, again, Kiki's yes, you're right, there's the beginning, it's like the witch goes away for a year. Why? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. And nobody even like They're just there, oh, it's a witch, cool. Just accept it. It's like, cool, whatever, fine. No worries. The cat talks. That's that's fun too. No dramas. Um, You know, whereas like Inside Out, again, the opening is like, it's literally a birth and like all the characters get born in her head and figure themselves out. And then you have little crash cuts of like, these are core memories and then these do this and then that happens and then these get stored here. And you literally get told exactly how it all works. And it's brilliantly clever. That one's a little bit, less, little on bit less on the nose. Yes, yeah. it's a little bit less. There's still a whole bunch of things which aren't explained. And, yeah. But it's a much harder world build than Kiki's. It's a much more psychological film. Yeah. I mean, the whole idea, of course, is that it, they're coming up from literally a psychological standpoint. They even yeah. consulted with world-famous yeah. child psychologists to to give it a and more realistic... And it's continued to be a resource oh. for schools to discuss it. It's marvellous. Yeah. yeah. Just, the, just the simple thing of like sometimes it's okay to be sad. You know, it's, it's, it's a really simple concept. They, they explore it so beautifully. Whereas Kiki's is just like... <laughs> Kiki's delivery service is one of the most heartwarming, life-affirming, like soul-enriching experiences. It's such a beautiful film. And you know what? Nothing really happens. No, it's the most simple, like it's the most simplistic, just like slice of life for a young witch. And yeah, it's just the fact that she's a witch is almost irrelevant to the entire storyline. Really, I mean, they use it as advice, but it's just like. Something's been interesting is like it's, it's it was a children's book first, but Miyazaki actually adapted, like the two major things that he adapted was putting an airship in at the end and and that big climactic scene that happened. Just couldn't help himself. He's like, God, this needs an airship. (laughs) Some kind of retro futuristic. God damn it, Miyazaki. Am I allowed to say that, Charlotte? It's pretty steampunky. Let's not. Yeah, it is. That is. I think we're going to do, yeah, Sam versus steampunk is, is the whole it's episode. Not me. I'm no, all for it. Sad. Charlotte, she hates it. And then the other one was <laughs> her, losing, her losing her powers, which I think is one of the things that makes the film the most poignant because it the thing that sort of connects us to, to her in the big, biggest way. Yeah. Her finding herself again, not just finding her powers, but finding herself so she can have her powers is, you know, what the arc becomes. Well, there's that wonderful moment where well, I don't want to spoil anything too heavily but like essentially Not really much to spoil no, it's, like... it's just a beautiful film it's just so beautiful and it's just there's a wonderful moment where Kiki's out with the boy she kind of likes and they're having a nice day and then he calls her over to meet her friends and then she just decides to turn on her heels and leave sort of inexplicably and then she gets home and she just 
falls onto her bed and she's super despondent. Depressed, one might even say. She turns to Gigi and she says, I think something's wrong with me. I make friends and suddenly I can't bear to be with any of them. That other me, that cheerful, honest me, went off somewhere. And that's just such a beautiful little moment, you know? And it's just like, it's not explained. You can't explain it sometimes. Sometimes you're just fucking sad. Yeah. You know, and it's like, and it's such a beautiful little moment, you know? And I, that's one of the things I love. Especially when you're working of- things out on your own. Yeah. And a lot of people are, you know, especially at that age, just you feel so alone. You feel like no one gets you, not even your friend gets you. So yeah, yeah it can be a, a, a pretty tough place. And so films like Inside Out and Kiki's Delivery Service, I think at least open up the conversation to talk about that stuff with young adults, but also for parents to remember what it was like as well. Yeah. Well, it's also an interesting thing as well. And it, it sort of comes into this, this theme with both Pixar and, and Ghibli, you know, Miyazaki's always, almost always, not so much Pixar, but Miyazaki's protagonists are almost always young females. Almost always. Obviously the next film we're about to talk about is one of the few exceptions, but a good example, even in Pixar is the idea that, the innocence of childhood. And that's a major theme between both production houses. You know, yeah, like, think about the train thing you just read. Completely. Exactly yeah. perfect. But even in this case, like you've got the inside of Riley's head and all of her emotions are super energetic and bouncing off the walls and running around. And every time it goes into an adult's head, their emotions are doing this, you know, acting the same way. But they're all sitting down and they're all very, very static and almost bored. Yeah. And it's a really good example. You, yeah, it, and, and have a real uh, shorthand with each other. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's much less exciting. And, you know, I think it's such a thing with, especially through Miyazaki, just the, the innocence of childhood and the beauty and simplicity that comes with it. And then also the absurdity of adulthood and kind of the, the sadness that comes with growing old and losing the magic. So I hate using that word, but so to speak. And it sort of brings me to a, a great quote from John Paul Sartre in his book, the age of reason where he essentially says adults tears are a mystical catastrophe the kind god sheds at the wickedness of mankind which is such a profound statement but it's just an example of just like adulthood is kind of shit <laughs> and adults ruin have ruined the world this of course ties back to the theme that we were talking about before that of man's departure from nature and ignoring of tradition and just the fact that adulthood is kind of absurd and everything gets more and more complicated the older you get and you lose that beautiful dynamism of childhood, which Miyazaki refers to when asked about why all of his children characters run in his films. He said, well, that is the dynamism of youth. And I think that's a really profound statement. And I think that all ties together. And it's just something that yeah, both houses do really well. Yeah, you know, especially inside out's a really good example of yeah. beautiful innocence that it, that it is to be a I child. don't think either one I mean inside out was definitely directed at youth but there's so much layered in for adults to to get out of that particular story as well. Get, Kiki's get out of everything. Ghibli does it with every film, I think. Every film. Like it's you can ne- I don't think I've picked up maybe I it's it's a cultural difference, I don't know, but I don't feel like they're directed specifically at young audiences. And that's that whole cultural thing of animation and anime being across every generation in Japan as well, I think. I think that's going to be really evident in the next one we talk about as well. Yeah. Because like Ghibli as an as a animation house isn't necessarily going to have kid-friendly films that come out of it, whereas Pixar exclusively does family-friendly yeah. content, really. Yeah. They have adult yes. themes throughout it, but they are very much so aimed deliberately at children. Very yeah. so. yeah. much so. I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's a it, it's the the tentpole film that you your grandparents take the kids to, but they get something out of, or your parents take the kids yeah. to it, and then because we all grew up on Toy Story, we'll go see Toy Story three and Toy Story four and and cry hysterically. Yeah. <laughs> but again, but that's, that's sentimentality coming into play, and it's it's, it's, and it's, it's to your own and, lost childhood that yeah. you left behind. Yeah, you know, that's a major part of it, and it's Pixar do it not as much as Ghibli, but they still trade in that very much. But also, what's interesting about Pixar compared to Ghibli is that what they do is Ghibli's always protagonists are children, pretty much always, right? Pixar, the children are the centerpiece, but are very rarely, they are, but very rarely the actual protagonists. So for example, Inside Out, it's the child's emotions. Their whole existence is to serve the child. Toy Story, all the toys, whose entire existence is predicated upon making that child's childhood 
special and magical. Yeah. Monsters Inc. Finding Nemo. You know, Finding Nemo. It's all of these yeah. things. And so that, that theme is prevalent across both. Incredibles is probably films. one of the only ones that doesn't. And yeah. Up, which up. we're about to get Let's to. Let's get on to that. So just before I get on to Up. Um, Good segue, team. And <laughs> this other beautiful Studio Ghibli film. If you liked films like The Borrowers, uh, Inception, Labyrinth, the craft. The, cra- the craft. Are you kidding? Classic. The, the craft. I just love the craft. I, okay, that is that is a hot take, but I'm here for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sweet. Watch the craft. They Let all lose know. their powers at the it's end, and it's, uh, and it's all coming of age. I don't know. Probably about- not. But it was about the witchiest I could get. Um, I put Buffy in there. I Hell put yes. Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Yeah, it's a good one actually. Um, and being John Malkovich. Another hot take, but I'm here for it. Yeah, no, no. I, I like yeah, that. Yeah, I'm going to throw Big Mouth in there. Oh, for, oh as Because it's like call. maybe that's, the puberty yeah. version, like the raunchy really, puberty version yeah, of, of um, a, Inside yeah, Out. Yeah, that's really yeah. Big Mouth is a great. Yeah. But also The Craft, because. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I haven't thought probably about Probably wasn't thinking too well there. We should, coffee yet. we should watch that. We should. <laughs> Next week. <laughs> um, all right, so the next two films are paired together with Princess Mononoke and Up. Yes. And like very different films. Yeah, um, hugely. But we wanted to discuss the environment oh, yeah. side of things with Ghibli. Yeah. And how he feels about a land being invaded, especially, you know, forests and, and country and everything being invaded and i guess it goes back to that sort of tradition versus innovation thing is whereas as humans we tend to take what we need to progress ourselves but forget about what we destroy and, and the legacy we leave behind any other connections you guys sort of think across those two to me it was majorly when we were talking about discussing pixar films versus ghibli we just we couldn't really get away without talking about environmentalist things just because that is so strong and the idea of kind of what you should keep untouched versus like, yeah, the innovation stuff. So with yeah. Up, I don't know if I'm assuming everyone Well, let me just run, I'll just yeah, give you a, little, a quick synopsis of Up. And then we'll the get film centers on elderly widower named Carl Fredrickson and an earnest boy named Russell. Up was also the aforementioned film that along with Beauty and the Beast was nominated for the Best Picture Oscar. Princess Mononoke, it's actually, I didn't know this until I read the synopsis because it's again, Ghibli, it's, it doesn't put it up at the beginning of the film. Nope. But in the 14th century, the harmony that humans, mm. animals, and gods have enjoyed begins to crumble. The protagonist, young Ashitaka, infected by an animal attack, seeks a cure from the deer like god Shishigami in his travels. I'm oh, sorry, in his travels, he sees humans ravaging the earth. Use the commas, Brett. <laughs> he sees humans ravaging the earth, bringing down the wrath of wolf god Moro and his human companion princess mononoke i thought moro was a was a female but um anyway his attempts to broker peace this being ashitaka between her and the humans bring only conflict to the valley and the people and then yeah without getting going too much into this film is anything else you guys want to sort of mention about it because I think a major thing about both these films is the antagonists in them are not necessarily actually purely antagonistic. There's actually sides you can see from all of them. So the poacher or the explorer in Up, he has, you know, he's he's like he's been yeah, a big Charles hero. Mons. Yeah, so it's the thing where versus like Lady um, Eboshi. Eboshi, who obviously is an amazing character. Yeah. Like so, so much about her and so much good things and just kind of nobody is entirely wrong. Like yes. nobody is completely evil and there's like things that kind of shape people's arguments and like what it means to be human and what it means to be a god or what it means to kind of keep all of that in harmony. Princess Monoki to me is my favourite Ghibli film. Oh, is it? It's definitely the most adult yes. of the ones we've talked about. There's another one, Grave the Fireflies. Oh, that's Tucker Harder. That's a sad yeah, one too. Yeah, generally a tiny bit darker, but like Miyazaki. Yeah. yeah, in terms of Miyazaki's work, yeah. To me, it's very violent, super yeah. violent. It's yeah, it's definitely Miyazaki's. I think most sort of graphic and and dark film for sure. Takahata's films tend to be on the darker side anyway, but yeah, this is a and even Up Ups, a bit more of an adult Pixar. Film, well, I, I, I mentioned earlier that like in terms of exposition and creating a story world, I think everybody who has seen Up has probably been on the 
the verge of tears in the opening five minutes because of the way that it I'd um, say hysterically so crying <laughs> like I can't it is yeah actually one big big difference between Up and Prince of Mononoke that I think is interesting to point out is the protagonist of both of them it's the first one we're talking about in Ghibli that has a male protagonist but yeah. the male protagonist in Up he's like a jaded Oh, old yeah. man who has like lost any sort of to read well he's lost he's dealing with grief yeah and, yeah. and he has he's lost his entire life and yeah. he has a lot of regret yeah uh, whereas the main character of princess Nonoke is incredibly earnest and filled with like i think there's literally a quote which is that he can view the world through like hateless eyes or something like that yeah. the thing where it's like, yes he's trying to connect everybody yeah and but it's funny because he has he's actually i guess it's a more of a, a, a cultural traditional thing but he has to lose his his life and his yeah. uh, village, or yeah. like his connection yeah. to the village. As that a is prince. the harshest bit at the start. It and is it's, and, it's, and, <laughs> and there's another reason to connect these two is because it is like there are two films who, in the first five minutes, are devastating. Like he oh, yeah. does he does everything right, Ashitaka, yeah. and yet it's part of their tradition that he has to leave. Like, yep. yeah, a non-person yeah. essentially, and carry a horrific curse with him until it eventually kills <laughs> yeah. him it's yeah both both of these main characters are sort of outcasts of society one self-imposed and the other from an unintended consequence of his decision well it was a correct decision at the time so he thought but the unintended consequence of which was horrific i mean yeah that opening 10 minutes in up is just oh man it, it, even just thinking about it gets me gets me going um mm. it's absolutely beautiful and both of these films strangely beautiful in their own way and i think Obviously, they're both centered on bits of environmentalism. I mean, Mononoke far more so. At the end of the day, Up is still a personal story and a personal journey and, you know, how the energy of youth, once again, can revitalize even the most jaded of... Well, you've got Russell, else. who is, is, is oh, all about... He's, uh, he's such an endearing Japanese character. Ameri- one of the only Japanese-American or Asian-American characters in Pixar. Yeah. One of the biggest connections we're sort of hinting on is this connection to environment versus consuming the environment i still think in up that that is there i think muns loses his way like he's very much about introducing the environment protecting it at the beginning but then it's become sort of all consuming like he doesn't have like for his own ego and his own drive he needs to conquer this particular wilderness yes yes and whereas the the people of iron town are it, yeah, it's in the name. Like they're, <laughs> they're they're taking from the land and they're forgetting about what the land gives them. It's that tradition versus innovation again, and it's yes. usually driven by humanity. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And the folly of man. I mean, of course, just quickly, you need to really understand a very brief moment of Japanese history to to properly understand what Miyazaki is saying here. And of course, it's also grounded very heavily in Shintoism, which I yeah. mentioned briefly in the sport episode that we did last season. But I mean, you need to understand that Japan modernized after shutting itself off from the world for the better part of 200 years once the meiji restoration happened and i won't explain too much of that but they essentially modernized from being a completely feudal nation to a industrial powerhouse within decades 50 years yeah 44 to be precise yeah like it's insane how fast that happened so as a result you've got this and shintoism as i mentioned last season is very much about connection to nature it's not actually a religion so to speak, that's what is a little bit confusing about it. It's more of a... It's even less like, like Buddhism in the sense yeah. that Buddhism has its deities, but Shintoism is about everything that surrounds you. It's actually a exactly lot... Right. Culturally, it's a lot more like Indigenous Australia. I was just about to say, yeah. it's exactly right. It's much more... It is an Aboriginal um, yeah. religion. Uh, religion, culture, yeah. You know? So it's much more about the connection to the land and how we interact to it and everything has a soul. The kami, which are supernatural entities believed to inhabit all things... And the link is obviously very strong between the kami and the natural world. So many people believe Shinto to be animistic and pantheistic, and they are worshipped in household shrines. Only thing that are more prevalent than shrines in Japan, which are shrines to the kami, most houses have them, are vending machines. So (laughs) (laughs) that's a perfect example of tradition versus tradition. It's a perfect thing to look at. Come to my vending Um, machine. This is is kind of coming at a random point, but do you think that Miyazaki is jealous of the airships that are in Up that are not in Princess Mononoke? Because there are airships in Up. There is. They ain't in Mononoke. Oh, I know. Yeah, one of the few films. Sorry, Miyazaki, drop the ball. Maybe this comparison. Maybe this comparison is. Yeah. 
14th century though, so he's, he's, this is this is one of his oldest yes. sort of set films. Look, yes. look, I'll I'll let it slide this time. But if I don't have an airship <laughs> next time, I'm off it. Hey, look, if if you like films like uh, like Fern Gully, mm. Dances with Wolves, oh yeah, oh yeah. Avatar, yeah. getting a bit. I mean, yeah. Pocahontas are getting a bit of a yeah, theme yeah. here. Pocahontas is better, yeah. <laughs> okay, so all five of those films are pretty much along the same path. Pretty much, yeah. you know, like, and so every, everybody said, "Oh, Avatar's a rip off of such and such." You guys are all ripping each other off, like, <laughs> but it, it's a, such an important story to tell and keep telling throughout time. So, if you want to do it in 3D or virtual reality, who cares? Look, the other two was Chinatown. So, you know. A bit out there, but Chinatown is essentially about a you know a guy trying to stop the powers that be destroying his home. Man, world. I am loving these recommendations just flying straight into like Chinatown. I love it. Aaron I'm Brockovich. Aaron Brockovich. <laughs> yeah, well, I, mean, okay. I love. Yeah, you're it's right. About, like that's yeah, the best part about. It. I love this. You should do a list <laughs> every great. week. And uh, Indiana Jones: The Last Crusade. I put yeah, that in sure. there because of uh, old man oh, Sean yeah. Connery as well, Absolutely. bumbling along in his little exploration for the thing that he's wanted his entire life. Yeah, they're both beautiful examinations of the idea of holding on to the past. You know, which is a yes. really a major thing as well. Carl Fredrickson is completely trapped in his past. Ashitaka is cursed by an action which he carries with him forever. And it's just the idea again, looking at what Miyazaki's whole idea. Of course, he's an environmentalist. A year. 10 student in English class could ascertain that. But <laughs> you know, all right, mate. The one point I make, you're just like, come on, mate. No, 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 no. But what I mean is like it's he's obviously an environmentalist and it's so prevalent in his films. But I think it's more an idea of the balance being struck. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I, because like I just mentioned before, in the history, it's it, that is such a fast turnaround from being a feudal nation to an industrial nation and they just did it they just got all they went as the japanese tend to do they just went all in yeah. you know and so as a result of that what have we lost you know and that's that's why there's such a, a major gap there if you think you're a good traditions. gardener then you haven't seen a japanese garden yeah that's exactly dan garland it's perfect and it's just it's such an interesting thing and miyazaki's always asking that question and he asks it the hardest in mononoke yeah. You know? Yeah. It's it really is the what is the cost here and what have we done? And is it right and is it wrong? But he's never he's never like I suppose you could argue sometimes he's bashing you over the head with it. But again, as you said, Lady Eboshi, who is technically the antagonist. Probably the antagonist, but at the same time she's also a beacon Just, of light and help she's and has done so much for the women like liberating oh, the them lepers. from their yeah you know, brothels, their, their brothels and, and she's stuff saved them and like, given yeah. them a purpose she's a kind of live. manipulating the system to work for humankind not as in a selfish way she's trying yeah. to protect her fellow humans in that way and that's yeah. kind of the whole it's interesting absolutely it's mm. just really really and, interesting and i think miyazaki actually has been quoted as saying that he feels that he has failed in his career to properly communicate his message to people, which is why you actually look at the earlier films of Miyazaki, like Nausicaa and Castle in the Sky, Totoro, Totoro, which are very hopeful. But towards the end, like The Wind Rises and even Spirited Away, it was much, much less sanguine. You know, he's starting to get a little bit more like, hold on, we're we're causing problems here. It's about the evolution of his understanding of the world as well, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And because we are so gripped by what he does, we're ready to listen. Yeah, 100%. So it's a fascinating thing to look at. I think I would, I would highly suggest going back and doing the whole Miyazaki canon. You know, it's, yeah. uh, it's, a, it's, it's a really worthwhile thing to do. And also, you know, Nausicaa, you know, obviously females are almost always his protagonists, but that was rare. That was rare. You know, you could almost argue that Nausicaa began the whole magical girl genre. Yeah. And the Pixar only started having female protagonists a bit later on as well. Yes. So that's a new that's thing. That's pretty interesting as well. It's, yeah. It, it, it's like there are a lot of, there's some pretty strong female characters in Pixar films throughout, but they're generally supporting or secondary mm. up until, what, um, Brave, I guess, is yeah. probably the first one. It's pretty interesting because I think that that's to do with just like maybe the Pixar storytelling is a bit more kind of like rolling with that whole kind of patriarchal mm. sort of tropes that we're used to in narrative storytelling in the West. Yeah. And I think that maybe in Japan it's less about like a feminist statement and more kind of that these stories don't have, like they don't the follow universal. those particular tropes. Yeah. So it's a different way of viewing yeah. it. Because we all know that Japan isn't, known for its gender yeah. equality in terms of yeah. I mean I think it's gotten a lot but I mean yeah. I don't I can't I'm not a full expert on it but I think in terms of academic viewing of feminism is like not much written about it but I know there definitely is a movement and yeah. I've been, but I think that in storytelling I just think it's just different about how we kind of and I'm not sure that that's reflection and I wonder why Pixar took so long to kind of get to that and I guess interesting it's, yeah 
I mean, well, look, um, there is no female character in Up apart from Ellie, Carl's wife, who is basically a device. Yeah. You know, uh, for the male character to go on his journey. I mean, she has the most beautiful part of the film, obviously, at the beginning, but that's it. She's just a device for him to reflect upon and, and then grow away from in many ways. Yeah. You know? So it's, and that's 2009. It's not that long ago. Yeah. And like, think about it. If you think about Boo, she's like childhood innocence. Yeah. And then you've got Jessie in Toy Story, which is an interesting, and, but she wasn't until got, a sequel. You do have Roz mm. in Monsters Inc. Which is funny enough, played by the storyboard artist, and yes. it's a guy. Yeah, so, but yeah. that's like, but you could you could probably read that as like a huge kind of like. You, I could probably write less about why that was offensive, but actually, she might be a feminist hero. Like, I don't know. I can't. I'll be watching you. Yeah. All right. Well, look, we've uh, run out of time this this afternoon, and this morning, or whenever you're listening to us around the world. What do we got next week? We're going to look at Isekai. Isekai. So that's right. All right. What's What's Isekai? What's that, What's Sam? That? What's <laughs> Isekai? I'm, I'm reverting. I'm, I'm regressing back in. Good. I feel like I now suddenly student. have power again. Like yeah. I was like the least prepared for Ghibli. And I'm just like, oh, yeah, Isekai. Gotcha. Yeah. Yes, Isekai. <laughs> Essentially translates to being transported to another world. And there's an entire genre within anime specifically of Isekai, where whether you get transported into a video game or a fantasy world or whatever, and there are just so many Isekais you would not believe just how many there are. It's a new trend. Awesome. Oh, yeah. I'm it's glad cool. I hadn't, we hadn't done that one before we did the references for Spirited Away and Monsters, Inc. Probably... <laughs> <laughs> you could argue the Spirited Away kind of is an Isekai. Dude, isn't the Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe an Isekai? I was just thinking oh, that. That's yeah. what I mean. Walks through a door. Like, yeah. it's the OG. Alice, like, Alice in Wonderland. All Isekai. Usually they're video games, though. It's a weird, oh, like, that's sure, a new, sure, sure. not necessarily. That's the modern. modern the modern take movie. is, like, trapped in a video game. But all right, we'll talk about it we'll next week. We'll talk all about that next week. And we'll learn about Isekai and where the strong points are and where the really weak points are. So we will get right into that. But, Brady, thank you so much for leading us down the Studio Ghibli. I learned so much. Thank you. Sorry thank you I just guys. said some random thanks things. Thanks for having, having, giving me the trust and the guidance. Right, thanks so much for listening, guys. We'll catch you next week. Thanks. Bye. Good to be back. Bye.